certainly is a blessing for me to be again here with my dear brethren and Mabel Memorial. A blessing to be able to share this morning. God is good and we want that goodness to be flowing forth out of our lives. That's my desire. The topic this morning is about grace. Uh, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he talked about the abundant riches of his grace and that this morning I feel like I, I know there's a gold mine there and I know that there's tremendous riches. I'm not sure how to express it more than I'm not as experienced in mining as I'd like to be. There, there's it's there. It's there for us. Uh, there's there's riches to be had. Riches maybe more than what we have understood. And and it's a matter of faith. I, I think we can't have grace governing our lives, grace controlling us, grace giving us what we need unless we believe in it. And somehow there's this thing of us having to to grasp it, to understand it before we can really believe in it. So there, there has to be a certain amount of understanding. And some of the deeper riches of God, I think, are some of the more difficult ones to grasp. So that's how it is in life so often. We have to, we have to apply ourselves. We, we lived in Peru for a number of years and they are just discovering vast amounts of gold that in, in years gone by, they really didn't have the ability to detect where it was at. But because there is a knowledge that they're realizing, and I, I feel like as God's people, we, we have to apply the knowledge that God has made available to us to to be able to lay hold of it. Now, this morning, I'm looking at this topic of grace as somewhat a, a doctrinal approach to it, and I'd like to just share this. There's a very close link between sound doctrine and sound living. In other words, what we believe affects how we live, very much so. And also a very definite link between distorted doctrine and distorted living. I see people that believe things that are not accurate. And because of that, their lifestyle is not a holy lifestyle. And I don't want to go into that a lot this morning. That's not, not my topic, but, but it's very true. And we can be strong on certain doctrines and, and our, our, our way of living is strong in that area. And could it be possible that we are weak in some doctrines, that we can be proud that we have the truth and we have sound doctrine and maybe there's some doctrines that aren't as sound as they could be and that we, we need to acknowledge that and then God can work in, in give, opening our hearts and understanding. And this topic of grace, I think, could be one of them. It's common theology that, to understand that may, grace and mercy are more or less the same thing. I've, I've heard that come across in pulpits, in our pulpits, and I've heard it come across in comments that people make, and that they're somewhat interchangeable. And I'd like this, more this morning for us to, to look at that somewhat different that mercy, as in not receiving the punishment or the consequences of sin we deserve, and grace being something very different from that. And maybe even our understanding of mercy isn't completely as it should be. And I'd like to make mention, I'm not going to turn to it, but when Paul was writing to Timothy, he made mention that he used to be a blasphemer and, and a persecutor of the church. He was far from where God wanted him to be, but God in his mercy called him to something different. 
So God was willing to take uh, Saul, the Apostle Paul, and overlook what he was and what he was doing to the Church of Jesus Christ. But that mercy really wasn't something he could lay hold of until he repented from his way of living. And so mercy isn't just... This morning I, I want to be clear that I'm here because of the mercy of God. And there's some things that I'm thankful that God has been willing to... Should I say overlook in my life some struggles that I'm having? I'm thankful for that and I think we all need it this morning. But when we look at grace this morning, I've looked at this thing extensively. I've spent hours meditating on this topic and, and digging into scriptures. And I do not find the idea that grace is God overlooking our sins. In fact, we will find, and we're going to look at this morning, it is the opposite of that. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. <clears throat> Forgiveness of sin is very necessary for us in our lives. We have all, in a great way, have offended God and have, have done things that are very far from his, his plan and his will. And so God in his mercy is able to... Uh, put that aside so that we can access his grace, if that makes sense. And someone has used this, and I know that it's very limited in its theology, but I think it's helped me. That mercy is the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff when people end up there to take them to the hospital for whatever treatment they need. And grace is a rope that we grab a hold of so we don't need to end up at the bottom of the cliff. I don't know if that's helpful for us here this morning. I, I think that's helped me understand a little bit. There, when, when we are in temptation, when we are in great need, when, when we're maybe at the point of falling, there's something we can grab a hold of so we don't need to end up at the bottom of the cliff. The word grace, as I understand, as we are looking at this morning, is a New Testament word. Now, we'll find the word grace numerous times in the Old Testament. Uh, it says that Noah found grace in the sight of God. Uh, I don't think that is necessarily what we're looking at this morning. Uh, Noah found acceptance. Noah found favor in the sight of God, and so Noah was not destroyed with the rest of the world. But turn with me to a verse we have here in uh, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. I want to point something out, and, and we have some, uh, several other scriptures that also make this clear. Like I said, we we're looking at some doctrinal things this morning. In John chapter 1, verses 14 down through 17. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of this, of him, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So what I'm talking about this morning has been made available to humanity with the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. Jesus himself, his life was a, a perfect revelation of what grace is. We want to understand grace, look at the life of Christ. Look at what flowed forth from him. And we have access to grace because Jesus came and because he was willing to make this available for us. So uh, we, we have uh, 
the first time we have grace mentioned in the New Testament is with reference to Jesus Christ when he was 12 years old. And, and I'm not going to turn to that, but in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, it says that he grew in the grace and knowledge of uh, God. In other words, he, he, uh, the grace of God was upon his life at that point already. We know that was before he received the anointing at his baptism. New Testament grace I understand to be a powerful divine influence upon the hearts of believers that is absolutely transforming and it has its outworkings and, and it manifests itself in, in the way that we live. And it's interesting to me, uh, we attended Strasburg, we're part of the Strasburg congregation and they have children's meeting, they don't have Sunday school. And so I haven't really looked at Sunday school lesson uh, until we got into it this morning and it was on giving. And, and we'll see this morning as we get into this lesson a little further that there's a direct connection between the grace of God upon God's people and the outflowing of it is, it's not, I'm not sure how to explain it, it's not some kind of work that I necessarily do, but it's a response to the grace of God that has been imposed upon my life. And a natural outworking of that is that we're just willing to give, give in a financial way, give of ourselves, give and serving others. Uh, so I want to look at a verse, we, we talked about this a little bit, that it's very common theology, and I could mention maybe uh, amongst a lot of professing Christianity in this day, but it, it goes back further than that. And it, we see that was prevalent already in the time that the scriptures were written. I look at a verse in Jude. In Jude verse 4, uh, talking about the false ideas and false teachings that were out there. Verse 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the phrase I want to look at here is there's men that turn the grace of God to lasciviousness. And that word lasciviousness, we could say loose living, wantonness, or could I say they use the grace of God as a license to sin. In other words, Grace is understood, commonly understood in so-called Christian circles as, as because I'm not perfect, because I have a tendency to sin. As I sin, the grace of God translates into the more I sin, the more the grace of God is there for me to, to, that he's going to overlook my sin. That's a very common understanding. Here again where we use the word the mercy of God and the grace of God interchangeably and they're not. And we have that in, in Romans chapter 6. So at the end of Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at some of those verses a little bit. He's talking about Adam came and he brought sin into the world because he chose to sin and, and it, his offspring, including us of course, have a tendency to sin. But then Jesus Christ appeared to, to deal with the sin problem. Then in, in uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, it says uh, in this way, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, the grace of God is available that we just keep on sinning and, and there's enough grace available to just keep covering every time I sin. It says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein?
verse 15 it says what? Then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. God forbid that we even think that way. And we'll back up to one verse, and this is a, to me a key verse for understanding grace. And, and as I look into grace, I'm not sure if you can understand what I'm saying here this morning. The more I understand grace, the more I understand that I don't understand grace. In other words, it's, it's a word, it's a topic, it's, it's a subject that is deep. And, and the deeper I dig, the more I realize there's things I don't understand about grace. But the more I want to understand about grace. Because it's so important. It's so necessary in my life. And I need it in my life. I need it in my home. And I, we need it in our church. In our churches. What I understand in Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion. Sin sh shall not rule because grace is ruling. There's a, there's a stronger power. So we have two opposing forces. And one or the other is going to be rolling in our life. Because I'm under grace, sin does not have controlling power in my life. If sin has controlling power in my life, somehow I'm not accessing or appropriating the available grace that's there for me. And if you're here this morning thinking that grace is a, is a license to sin or grace is going to cover when you get before the throne of God in judgment that somehow the grace of God's going to allow him to overlook all the evil you've done, you've, you've got it all wrong. The grace of God is giving us power so we don't have to keep sinning. We'll go back uh, to the last verse in Romans chapter 5. I think it says basically the same thing. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. This morning, either we have grace ruling in our life or we have sin ruling in our life. And we can't come to the conclusion that there is room for, for both. And, and I know that we struggle, and, and any unrighteousness is sin. And, and in that sense, uh, we all struggle with sin to, to one extent or another. But the more that we can understand and grasp the grace of God, the more we can have freedom from the bondage of sin. It does not have to have controlling power in our lives. So that's the message of God for us this morning. We don't need to keep struggling with sin because... Jesus Christ appeared and, and he, he himself was full of grace and Jesus Christ did not sin and because of the grace of God that was in his life. The, res the end result of, of sin is death and separation from God and an ultimately a separation from God in eternity. So the more, if I can say this right, the more we can bring grace into our lives, the more we can bring grace into our midst, it, the outflowing of it is going to help others. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says it's by grace we are saved. So there's a direct connect, connection between the grace of God and salvation. And I, I am burdened. This is, you know, I've for a number of years have been working in missions and and the main purpose of missions is bringing souls into the kingdom. And it's been a burden that I feel that I, in my life, and, and as a church, we have lacked the power to go into the, the uh, places uh, around us where sin is abounding and, and somehow the grace of God isn't brought into the picture enough that we can draw those people out. And the people that come into our churches so often, it's not those type of people as much as people that they themselves have been searching and, and are seeking a, a more holy way of life. But very few situations where we know it's been a direct result of the grace of God working through our life, where that grace reached those people that are in the depths of sin and pulled them out and brought them into glorious salvation in Jesus Christ. So I need, we need the grace of God in our midst. 
We need it working. It's, it's something that God has availed through Jesus Christ. So it's, first of all, a personal thing. The grace of God gives me power to, to stop sinning. I'm not sure if this analogy is an accurate one or not. I've heard it and I'll share it because I think it makes a lot of sense to me. They say there's an institution for insane people. And there's the people where they have to make a decision whether this person is insane or not. And so what they do is they take them to a room where they have this spigot. And they turn this, the water spigot on and the water is flowing and they give them a mop and a bucket. He said if, if they take that mop in that bucket and they start mopping up this water and they don't turn off the spigot, then they're insane. They need help from their institution. But if somebody is sane enough to understand that, first of all, before we start mopping, we turn the water off. Are we spiritually insane this morning? Do we turn the water off before we start mopping? Are we going to keep mopping and mopping and mopping and not cut off the, the source of the problem? So the outworking of grace is, is a life that is free from the bondage of sin. It's re Christ revealing himself, his life revealing himself in holiness and purity as powerful instruments for his glory, a life of peace. Outworking of grace is joy. Outworking of grace is, is a liberality to give. It's, outworking of grace is, is a life of, of, of just overflowing with thanksgiving for God. There's a doctrine out there, some of you might have heard, I'm not sure if it's a, as prevalent today as it was back some years, a doctrine called the second work of grace. Uh, and I think that there's a scripture, maybe I'll turn to that, I wanted this to be a doctrinal message. To, like I said, if, we, if our doctrine's right, our living is right. And if, if there's some areas where we get our doctrine wrong, then and it's going to affect the way we relate to God in a negative way. 2 Corinthians 1, 15. And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that you might have a second benefit. Now that word benefit is the same word that is almost always translated grace in the New Testament, the word charis. And that word, uh, or charis, I'm not sure how the Greeks would say it, it's also another word we know, charisma, uh, which is a Greek word. And that word charisma and charis that are almost interchangeable, they have the same root. And the word charisma has the idea of deliverance or a spiritual endowment. And we think of somebody as charisma, they're, they're gifted uh, and so there's a connection there. We, we know about the charismatic movement and people that uh, put a lot of charisma into their worship, so to speak. And I think sometimes there's uh, some things we can learn from them too. Oh, a second benefit, or they, they, I think there's a, they built a doctrine on this. What I see here is that Paul had the desire to come visit again in, in a physical way, visit the, the Corinthian church. And he wanted to do it because he felt like he had something, not he himself, God had something through his life, a work of grace that he could bring in their midst by being able to, to visit them. That's how I understand the context of this. Second work of grace. Okay, so... All of us here this morning that have experienced new birth know what it is to have a work of grace in our life. Uh, as we are born again, that the Spirit of God comes into our life and, and that Spirit does a transforming work in our life. Things are changed. We're new creatures. That's a work of grace. And then I think there's some people that have really experienced that Somewhere along the way, God came and there was a, a 
a work in their hearts and there is a, a renewal and they say the second work of grace and they build a doctrine on that and, and we all need a second work of grace. Well, this morning I'm here to preach that we need a second work of grace and consequently or subsequently we need a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. We keep on, as, as we draw closer to God, we experience that God does another work in our life and, and we experience more of his grace and we need it. it. It's something that comes from the throne of God. It's something I can't stand in front of you this morning and explain exactly what it is. I explain some concepts, I explain some things that it does for us. But it, it's definitely, it's, it's God coming and, and doing a work in our life and, and, and changing us. <clears throat> I want to turn again to John chapter 1 and look at this a little more. We talked about grace coming through Jesus Christ. Moses brought the law, and uh, especially right into the Galatians and, and some of the Romans also. Paul uh, looked at the law that was given by Moses and the grace that came by Jesus Christ, and they somewhat looked at a contrasting way. And I, I think this morning we can maybe err in the area where we we see we have a need, and so we're going to try harder. We're going to try to get this thing together. Rather than moving in a way of, of seeking God more and allowing God to do work in us. I'm not sure if I'm making sense. The, the, the work of the law is that God tells us how we should live, and so we're going to give all the effort we can have. We're going to try to produce godliness by our own human efforts. It's the law. And the work of grace is where we say, God, I can't do it. I believe that it's available in you, and I'm going to seek you, and I'm going to allow you to transform me, and I'm going to allow you to work through me, and it's your power, it's your grace working in me and not me trying to do it on my own. And I think somewhat, um, I'm not sure if I can say this right, the... Okay, so the children of Israel left Egypt. Egypt was the world, and they left Egypt. And they received the law while they were in the desert. And that, and that time period between leaving Egypt and entering into Canaan, there was 40 years, and they received the law. And we know that only two of the adults that left Egypt, we talked about last time I was here, actually entered into Canaan. And a lot of people look at entering to rest, entering to Canaan as entering to heaven, and that, that's fine. But I, I kind of look at it that there can be a period in our life when, when we leave the world and become aware of God's requirements on us, the law of God, and where we try to do it. And, and maybe there is a possibility that we can spend 40 years in the wilderness trying to do God's law without entering into rest and realizing that I can't do it and God has to do it. If I'm making sense this morning. So we can die in the wilderness. We can, uh, the time of being under the law is the time when we're struggling. We, we, we read the word of God. We want to do what it says, but somehow the, the power is lacking until we come to a place where we say, I can't do it. And we try to find another way, and that way is through Jesus Christ and his redemptive work and, and his grace in my life. And we stop struggling, and we allow God to take over. We allow his power to rule, and then it's not me, it's God working through me that's doing it. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. And I think those two come hand in hand. We receive truth from Christ. Uh, there's a, a depth of truth that was not understood until Jesus came. And now we have the Holy Spirit that wants to reveal the truth of Christ to us. And that's a topic in itself. But 
that word fool there has the idea of replete. I'm not sure if you understand replete. So we have this cup of water and we fill it to the top. And I, I think that I'm not sure of the science behind it, but you can actually fill it to where it's actually a little above the rim. It, it can be this way just a little bit. But the idea is that there is no, there's not any room for more. It's absolutely as full as it can be. And that's when, when Jesus came full of grace, that's what he was. He was, there was absolutely no room for more grace in the life of Christ. And he wants to impart that grace to us. And he does that through our faith in him. We trust in him. Uh, we have access to it. What does grace look like? We look at the life of Christ. You know, Christ was, he knew perfectly well he's going to be hung on the cross. And he knew that he was going to suffer tremendous, a tremendous physical suffering. And it was far beyond physical. There's tremendous emotional suffering, the rejection and, and the hatred and, and the, even his disciples abandoning him. Uh, but the night before his crucifixion, he wasn't concerned about himself. He was concerned about his disciples. If you look at the, the prayer of John 17, that I don't see a bit of... of of self in that prayer, a burden he had for his followers and that they would be faithful. What, what would I be like? What would you be like if you, you knew you were facing something not even close to what he was facing and he wasn't, that, that wasn't in his thoughts it seems like. That's the grace of God. Now it's, in Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 is this verse I think there's so much there and it adds a dimension of grace that that I want to grasp I'll be here just shortly it says for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And we follow that there. The grace, well, this is what grace looks like as it's revealed to Jesus Christ. Jesus was extremely rich. He's the creator of the universe, the owner of it all. And yet he was willing to be, you know, when he died on the cross, he gave it all. There was some clothing left. Of when he appeared at the cross, there was some clothing left, but he didn't have that anymore when it was said and done. He still had life, but when it was said and done, there was no life to give anymore. He still had a mother, but on the cross, he gave his mother away. Uh, he probably didn't have a bank account, but what good would he have done? What good would a bank account do us if we were hanging on a cross and know we're going to die there? Uh, as far as what could have been given, there is nothing more left to give. It was just absolutely all. And we know that the life, especially his public ministry, from the time he was baptized in the Jordan, it was a life of just giving and giving and giving and giving. And that was the grace of God upon his life. And in Hebrews 2, uh, I'm not going to turn to it, I think it's verse 6, he says that by the grace of God, he should taste death for every man. And here again, there's, there's something deeper there than I can grasp. But the grace of God allowed Jesus to taste death. And somehow it goes on to explain that because he tasted death for us. We experienced death for us. We can be free from the ultimate consequences of death. And, and there again, there's some deeper things, but ultimate death is separation from God. And the grace of God, because Jesus was willing to give what he did, I don't need to experience death that those that 
are not in Christ will have to experience. So there's tremendous riches in that. But it was tremendous giving. And the more I think I understand and grasp grace, it's the more I will approach life. Grace is not something that's for me. It's something that I receive to be able to give that others can be rich through my giving, through my impoverishment. Uh, that's true grace. And I, I was going to look at a verse when we were talking about sin controlling our lives. And I, I'd like to turn to that because I, I don't want to overlook it this morning. It's found in Titus chapter 2. This is, this is a proper understanding of grace. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So this is what the grace of God does, it brings us salvation, and that salvation is primarily, or first of all, saving us from our sinful ways. And the grace of God is here this morning teaching us that we deny ungodliness. And if, if I struggle with lust, if I desire worldly things, that the grace of God comes in my life and says, that's not for me. And I live a sober life, uh, and I understand soberness to be the opposite of frivolity. The grace of God come in my life, and, and I, if, there's, if I have a frivolous spirit about me, a frivolous spirit is just, life is a party, life doesn't matter, it's not a big deal, it's a, it's a casualness. Uh, the grace of God comes and speaks to me and says, that's not how I want you to live. Take life seriously when we have one life and what, what we have, what God has given us, this life we have to, to give for, for his sake. The grace of God does that in my life. We back, back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want to look directly at the outworking of grace and how it affects believers, how it should affect, how it must affect believers. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us that we, with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus that he as he had begun, he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. In practical terms, we had some churches in the province of Macedonia that were living in physical poverty, and yet there was a need. There was a greater need somewhere else, and, and these people gave beyond what seemed reasonable to Apostle Paul. And he said the reason he gave for it is because of the grace of God that was bestowed upon them. So as we allow God to bestow his grace upon us in our lives, in our churches, it will, the natural response will be just an outflowing of wanting to give. Give of ourselves. I'm involved with a mission work in Peru, and uh, I think Brother Philip here has been involved in, in missions some too. And it, 
it sometimes can almost be discouraging where you make phone call after phone call, contact after contact, we need help, we need this place filled. And, and there's people we feel that would maybe be qualified, but they're not willing. And if they're not willing, I guess they're not qualified. Uh, and so that's another area of giving, giving of ourselves, and then of course giving of our finances, giving what God has given us, the work of grace in our midst, the willingness to give, and uh, there's a powerful verse we have in 1 Corinthians 9, and the topic is, again is giving. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, I'm the wrong spot here. Verse 8 says, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, ye may, may abound to every good work. This is in the context of giving. It's a tremendous verse. God is able to make all grace abound. So there's more available. It's enough. There's, there's never going to run out. There's not a short supply of it. In other words, the, the, the bank in heaven is just ready to pour it out as we open ourselves up to receive it. And the results of it is that we will have all we need for the work of God that needs to be carried out. It's a beautiful verse here. The grace of God is real, and, and the lost world around us will take note if the grace of God is upon his church. We're going to look at that here in a little bit some more. And I talked about this a little bit, but I'd like to just make mention of it again. The, the opposing forces of the law, as in me wanting to try to do God's work on my own strength. But in Galatians chapter 2, in the book of Galatians is a treatment of a very topic. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul says, I do not frustrate, I do not reject, I do not cast aside, I do not discard the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. What I see, the people that rejected Christ, the reason they rejected his him is because in their minds they did not need a savior. In their minds they did not need the Messiah. When the Messiah came, it, it did not fit into their agenda. It did not fit into their doctrine. It did not fit into their personal needs. They were fine. They were okay. They were good with serving God just the way they were doing it without the savior. And we can be guilty of the same. The Galatians, uh, I think it was some Jews, there's also some Gentiles in the Galatian churches, but they had experienced the grace of God and the burden that Paul had for those churches was that they were going back to trying to do it on their own. Foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? You know, did you, the power that you had, was it? did you receive it by the spirit or the works of the law. They wanted to go back to practicing certain rituals and thinking that's all that Christian life was about. And we can do that. To speak bluntly here this morning, we can, and I'm all for dressing in a holy manner, but if somehow we think that this is how we can be right before God, then we've got it wrong. It's, it's an outworking. Yesterday we had, or Friday, we had some men working beside us, and some of them might have been professing Christians, and they were shirtless, and they, they had tattoos. And, and uh, somehow, and they were working in someone that's in the house, someone that's professing Christian that is in a relationship that is, a, I, I believe, to be a, a relationship of adultery. And that is not the grace of God. The grace of God tells us we cannot do these things. And so what I'm saying when I put a balance in this, 
the grace of God tells me that I need to cover my body when I go out in public. But the grace of God also tells me that that in itself is not salvation. It, it's, it's much more than that. And we can revert back to focusing on doing these certain things and then that, that's what Christian life is about. Christian life is about receiving from God the power of his abundant grace and then it flows from us and it's the life of Christ being manifested. I do not frustrate, I do not reject, I do not discard the grace of God. If by doing these certain things I could be right before God, then, then Christ didn't even need to die. That's what Paul is saying. And then he goes on in Galatians chapter 5 to say, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. And we hear about falling from grace, and there's maybe different ways to do it, but he told them clearly if they think somehow they can get it right just because they circumcise and they do it on the eighth day and they do these certain rituals and they think that that's what the Christian life consists of, then the grace of God is not available for them. And we can be guilty of that as we... We have our doctrines, we have our way of doing things, and if we think by just by doing these things, and the grace of God is in our midst, and we don't understand why. We have to go to the source where it's at, and not reject or discard or, or uh, frustrate. That word frustrate maybe is it's not quite the best translation in Spanish said no desecho and that word desecho has the idea of, of casting off of throwing in the trash can that I think is a very accurate translation if we back up one verse here it says I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the grace of God is available to me as I understand a co-cross a co reality. Maybe you never heard that before. I never put those two words together either, but I think they need to go together. In other words, a co-cross reality is that Christ didn't do it all for me. I need to identify with the cross of Christ. As I identify with Christ, the cross is part of it. And if, if the cross was necessary in Christ's life, it's necessary in my life. I do not reject the idea, or I, try, I don't, don't try to sidestep the cross. I don't purposely choose it, but when the cross is presented to me, I accept it as a part of it. And I think going beyond that, it, as Paul wrote to the... Uh, to the Philippian church that uh, the idea of embracing the cross and that's one other concept I wanted to just bring into picture here I, I think we're just touching certain spots when we're looking at grace but the Apostle Paul had it seems to me like it was a rather serious handicap it's probably a physical thing and he went Three times he specifically asked in prayer that God would take this from him. Some people think maybe it was a very poor eyesight. I, I really don't know. It doesn't say. But Jesus came to him with a personal message. He says, I'm not going to take it away from you. I'm going to give you the grace. I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you what you need to be able to live. And Paul came to place to, to live with that handicap. Paul came to a place where he, he not only accepted that, but he said, I take pleasure. I am thankful for this handicap because through this handicap, I am going to depend on Christ instead of depending on my own resources to get it done. I'm not sure if that's making sense. Uh, and I think 
uh, if we struggle with handicap, uh, the, we struggle with handicaps, the things that we've desired for God to to take away, and He has chosen not to. And we can come to a place where we realize that I can serve God better with this than without. And I think that's what Paul was saying there. And the text there is uh, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. I want to wrap up here with just uh, looking a little bit in the, in the book of Acts what the grace of God did in the church. And uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 4. And as I share this, I share my heart's longing for what the grace of God can do in our midst. And I would like to come across, and I believe that it is necessary to come across, that there is the grace of God has done much for us, but there's much more to be had. Verse 31, on down through Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they, they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were one heart and one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which they possessed was their own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So what did it do? There was boldness to preach and there was a powerful witness and uh, there was a willingness to share. If it's mine, it's yours. And it, it's, it's a, a giving, a powerful divine influence upon the whole assembly that affected everyone there. And I can assure you that if there was unbelievers there, they saw this powerful working. They said, I need to have what's here. And that's how the church grew by the thousands. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Acts eleven nineteen, And they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word, to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they came to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. So what I'm saying here is that there is a great working of God in the, in the midst and Barnabas was sent to them. And he, when he got there he said, hey, this is nothing but the grace of God that's working here. And he exhorted them, he encouraged them, he, he told them that they should cleave unto the Lord. And that's what I want to leave with us this morning. We see the grace of God, we see what God can do. It's the work of God in our lives. It, it's something that's available for us and it transforms us and it makes us what we ought to be. May the Lord bless.